so welcome back, everyone. As I said, the theme for our uh, teaching this evening is the three characteristics, sometimes known as the marks of existence. And it's one of my favorite teachings because it so powerfully reveals to us why we often struggle with experience. As I've said again and again, this, this practice is all about training the mind to pay attention, to stay connected, to stay present, and to know what's happening. And as Yogi Berra says, you can observe a lot just by looking. That's what we're doing. We're looking and observing, seeing what's happening. And then the question is, what do we see? What do we see as we pay attention in this way, as we bring mindfulness to our attention? Well, we see what the Buddha called the Dhamma. And this is a word that has a lot of different meanings, but one is just things, stuff, the truth of things. This is the Dhamma. And we see it on two different levels. We see it on the very personal level, and I was talking a little bit about that when we talk about thoughts and our inner life and how we talk to ourselves and start to understand our minds and hearts. Really an important part of our meditation practice and can be so transformative to start to understand how our minds and hearts work and why we get into trouble and how to bring more joy and happiness in. But we also see on what you might call a more impersonal level, We see how things are for everyone, for everything. And this is the realm of the three characteristics or the three marks of existence. The Buddha said that every experience, every sense experience, every thing, every being that is conditioned, that means is constructed. There's only one thing that's unconditioned. Nibbana, we'll maybe talk about that a little at the end, the the, um, unconditioned state. But of this conditioned realm where we live uh, pretty much all the time, things have these three characteristics. You have them, I have them, the bell has them, jug, the paper, everything. These three characteristics are they're impermanent, meaning they arise and they pass, they're subject to change. They're unsatisfactory, in, partly because of their impermanence. They're unreliable. Another, the word in Pali is dukkha. They're, they, they, uh, they're suffering. They're, they're, they're not, they can't bring us permanent and lasting happiness. And the last one is that there's nothing solid at the core. And you could get into science talking about this just a the experience of, you know, the space that's there at the center of everything. It looks so solid, but this is more space than solidity, right? If you really look on a molecular level, that there's nothing solid there. There's no certainly solid self, which is important for for these teachings. So in the Pali, these are called anicca, dukkha, anatta, anatta. Uh, Impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, not self, nothing solid. And when we don't understand these truths, we struggle because we want things to be permanent. We don't want to grow old. We don't want our relationships to change unless they're terrible and then we want them to change, but only in the way we want them to change, not in the way they are changing. Um, 
And because of that, we are in conflict with the way things are. So we struggle, we suffer, there's discontentment because we're always at odds with what's actually happening. So this second characteristic of um, unsatisfactoriness or unreliability. And then this lack of solidity. We can delude ourselves, and we do quite well, that things are very solid, stable, and permanent. Anyone been in an earthquake? (laughs) A big earthquake? You know, that's just a sort of very relative pointing to the inherent emptiness that's there at the core of everything. And again, you know, as I said, we could, this I don't know how old this bell is, it looks pretty beat up, but at some point it will not exist because its very nature is to change. Um, you know, some teacher is going to sit up here one day, hit it, and it's just going to crack, right? And then it will be more space than solidity. It'll show its true nature, even though its true nature is hard for us to see when it's in this kind of form. But because we don't understand that, we struggle. We kick and we scream. We don't like that things are changing. You know, change your schedule, change the bus route. Uh, Someone puts things in the dishwasher in a way you don't like it. Uh, What, you know, just think of the things that the mind gets tied around because they change. And then we're unhappy and then we struggle. And then, you know, we, we, we think that uh, it's happening to us, and we don't like it, and uh, the sense of self gets threatened that they're not, people aren't appreciating us or acknowledging us or taking us into consideration. So there's this strong sense of self that's in conflict with this sense of change and fluctuation. Um, and this is just a cycle, a struggle that we can find ourselves in endlessly, endlessly. And it, you know, even as I say this, I don't want to, you know, make out life as always terrible, but if you're actually paying attention to your experience, this is what you will start to notice. And we're lucky that the Buddha pointed this out and we can see it more clearly. I don't, you know, I think all of us, if, if I asked you, do things change? You'd have to say yes, Right. But there's a difference between knowing, you could say intellectually, things change, the seasons, you know, you you know, people age, uh, things break. There's a difference between kind of knowing it intellectually and knowing it in your very being. What happens when you know it through insight or in your very being is you don't object when that change manifests when the reality of how things are manifests as they will. You know, all of your children will grow up and go away to college. Um, Your leg will break. You'll get sick. Um, Your friend will move out of town that you've been so close to. Your job will end. All of these things that happen, we, we live so much assuming that they won't, hoping that they won't, and then they do. And so this sense of struggle is when we, we're not seeing clearly the way things are. And I heard this uh, analogy that Ramdas, I heard it from Ramdas, I don't know where he um, got it from, but he was talking just about spiritual insights and uh, how we might see things and, and kind of the big picture. And he talked about going sky jumping. I know it's got sky jumping. 
skydiving. Skydiving, thank you. So you're going skydiving, which personally I think is a crazy thing to do, but people do do it, but imagine you are. Never done it. Don't think I will in this lifetime. But there you are going up in the plane. But you're all psyched, right? You train and you're ready to go. Everything's pointing to jumping out of this plane. So you jump, right? And it's exhilarating, I imagine. It must be exhilarating as you free falling. But then you realize you don't have a parachute. What's that feeling? Ah, that's suffering, right? But what, the way Aramdas tells it, the, 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 you know, what happens with spiritual practice is sense of self that's so threatened by the falling without the parachute, you realize there's no ground. There's nowhere to land. There's no you know, hard earth to come up against. So there's just a sense of spaciousness. And I've always liked that imagery for, for a sense of letting go, but then I realize it matches onto the three characteristics that as you jump out of the plane and there's that exhilaration of hurtling through space, that's impermanence, you know, things just fl- flying by. I mean, and, you know, it's a truism as you get older, oh, the years are going by so much more quickly than they used to. Um, but that's right, you know, even a day can go by so quickly. So there's impermanence. You realize you don't have a parachute? What's that? That's a bit of suffering right there. It's like... How could I forget the parachute? Ah! But the no ground is the anatta, the, the nothing solid there to land on, um, that it's actually freeing to understand in this way. As we come into alignment with this truth, we don't keep hitting ourselves again and again. You know, like they say, hit yourself against the wall, it's, it's good. it feels good when you stop. It's like... It, we can stop by coming into alignment with the way things are. And so this teaching of impermanence that things change isn't just, oh, the seasons change and the time changes and the, you know, the cycles of the moon. You know, we, we all kind of get that on some level, you know, when we pay attention. We're, most of us live indoors so much, we're often not attuned to that kind of thing. But as I said before, we basically get impermanence. But the Buddha was pointing to something much more challenging. He's actually saying it's changing all the time. It's changing in ways we can't even perceive, especially through looking in the way we normally look. It's only really through mindfulness and paying attention in this detailed way to our experience. It's kind of like you know, the electron microscope that lets you see the space in this. As you tune in with mindfulness, you really see that every aspect of your experience is kind of shimmering, always arising and passing and moving and changing. There's nothing as solid as you might think this mind-body is. I mean, again, we could go into this. So are you the same as you were when you came into the class? about an hour and a half ago? Pretty much? No? Yes? No? No. I mean, so there. You know. I thought most people go, yeah, I'm pretty much the same, you know? I haven't got any grayer, or, you know, maybe I'm a little hungrier than I was then. But, but even that, so it sounds like you're all in tune. You're not the same person, you know, not the same experience. You've had 
some different input from the teachings you practiced. You're either more awake or less awake. You're hungrier or, or less hungry than you were. This change is constant. And as we tune into it, we can actually, again, see the aliveness of everything. It actually helps us appreciate things more because we're not in this delusion of, oh, that'll be there tomorrow. I can, you know, take care of, you know, this, this thing will, this will last me forever. You know, the lifetime warranty. Have you ever, we, we just had to put a new roof on our house, which, you know, it was a 30-year roof 25 years later. But they said, do you want the lifetime warranty or the 40-year warranty? We said... And we figure 40 years is good. I think that'll cover us. My husband and I, both around 60 or so, 40 years should do us. But that's, you know, it's like you, we want things to be there for us, to be permanent. And it's not to deny the benefit, you know, of knowing this chair is going to support me as I sit in it. But we do know that someday, I mean, those chairs, you can feel it more clearly. You're going to sit down and it's going to fall underneath you, right? Because it's just going to give way. So we realize that. And we appreciate things for what they are, but we don't try to make them what they're not, which is solid. I didn't write out this story, but it's such a great one, a little teaching from Ajahn Chah, one of the Thai forest meditation masters. It says something like, see this glass? I know it's already broken. And because I know it's already broken, I can really enjoy it while it's here. And when it breaks, I won't be upset because I know inherent in this glass is breakage. I mean, it's glass. It will break, right? But because I know that I can enjoy it without the extra worry of, oh, my glass, I hope this table is safe, and don't you touch my glass, because who's going to protect my glass until next week if I'm not here? You know, all of that, I'm you know, joking, obviously, but that's what we do because we think things should stay the same. And so... It allows us to actually let things be as they are, which is that they're changing. I love this poem from Mary Oliver called In Blackwater Woods, and she really speaks to the loss that happens to all of us, the grief, the sadness, the separation, but that we have to be in in tune with that. It says, look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light are giving off the rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment. The long tapers of cattails are bursting and floating away over the blue shoulders of the ponds. And every pond, no matter what its name is, is nameless now. Every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads back to this. The fires and the black river of loss whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it, and when the time comes, to let it go, to let it go. And I just love that because she's so in the world and appreciating it, the description but how we connect with things deeply and profoundly, and when the time comes, we let it go. That's wisdom. That's clear seeing. The next of these uh, characteristics is dukkha. And I talked about that last week. It's the 
first of the noble truths, the, the fact of dukkha, the truth of dukkha. And I, then I translated it as suffering, as the best approximation of that word. But in the context of the three characteristics, even though it's the same word, I prefer the translation unsatisfactoriness. Because I think it points to something we can open to more um, readily than suffering. I mean, that this bell is going to break at some day, it doesn't cause me a lot of suffering. But it's not even that unsatisfactory because it's a pretty solid bell for the time being, so maybe it's not a great example. Maybe the glass is better. But the unsatisfactoriness is the inherent unreliability that glass does break, that bodies do get old. I can't control what my hair is going to do, you know, the color it's going to be, or the, well, actually, I can control that a little bit, but (laughs) the the natural, you know, the gray that's coming, uh, you know, the wrinkles that are coming, what, you know, the aging of the body, the effect of gravity that happens to everybody. We can't control that. Um, and that's the unreliable nature of the body. And again, if, we, if we're going to fight against that, this delusion, I think I used that example I saw down in Palm Springs, aging is optional. It's like, where, how, who, you know, who are you thinking about? Um, this truth says this is the way things are. And sure, we take care of the body and whatever we wish to do, exercise, health, etc., etc., but Inevitably, this is the direction it's going. What this is pointing to is that every experience, no matter how joyful, no matter how painful, has an end. Might get better, might get worse, but it will change and it will end. And if we're depending our, if we're putting our happiness on that experience, on that object, we will suffer. Maybe not right now because we're holding on tight and it seems pretty good for now, but at some point and inevitably. So we start understanding that and relating to things wisely, relating to things with the truth of things, with uh, seeing the truth of things. A little while ago um, at a program that I teach, the Dedicated Practitioners Program, we bring visiting teachers in and we had Norman Fisher come. He's a great teacher. He's an abbot at uh, Zen Center, has his own... um, Sangha and community. And he taught about creativity. So he gave us these great exercises of writing poetry and mixing it up and not feeling censoring what we were saying or anything. Um, But at the end of it, he gave us this little teaching that I like so much I, I copied it down. He said, it's hard being a human being. There's a lot to it. There really is. So let's all agree to accept the reality that we are not going to be able to do a very good job of this. There's just too much to do. Isn't it a relief to know that it's not going to work out? So you're not going to get it right. You're not going to get it perfect. The worst possible outcome of my saying these things today would be for everybody to walk out of the room and think, oh God, now I have to take up art. And we were writing poetry, but basically, you know, now I have to be creative. I got to brush my teeth every day. I got to go to the cleaners. My clothes are dirty. I got my family. I got children. I got aging parents. I'm aging. I got to go to doctor's appointments. And now I got to do art on top of that. How am I going to get that done? Well, don't worry. Just remember that there's no hope. 
It's not going to work out. But the important thing is, despite this, and recognizing and embracing this reality, don't worry about finishing the job or doing it perfectly, because it's not going to happen. But start. You see? Start and continue. That is the thing. You can really trust that if you will start, and if you will continue with commitment, that will be enough. That will be enough. And I just like how he just really addresses that we have these ideas about how things should be, and we struggle, and we manipulate, and we try to control. And is it ever perfect? Do you ever get it completely right? No. So accepting that, and again, this is not to be kind of apathetic and, oh dear, you know, don't even try. As he said, start and continue. Do it with commitment. But this is the way things are, the challenges of life. And a big part of our suffering is trying to keep the suffering away, trying not to open to that truth, trying to control things that can't be controlled. And so um, a big part of our practice is just opening to that again and again in our moment-to-moment experience and in the big picture. So there's a lot more I could say about that. We have a couple of good readings on this, so I'll trust that uh, you'll be able to get some of this from the readings that that'll be up on the website. The last of these characteristics is in some ways um, the most confusing thing in Buddhism. Uh, the, the Pali word is anatta. It's anatta, not self, is how we usually translate it. And, you know, the question always comes, well, if there's no self, whose knee pain is this? You know, if there's no self, whose thought is this? Who's responsible for this mess that I'm in? Well, the Buddha actually never said there's no self. When he was asked categorically, he, he refused to answer with a yes, no, because he said that would just lead to confusion and wrong belief. But what he said again and again is look and see what your exact actual experience is, and is there anything that's solid or permanent in that? So we already went through this a little bit. Are you the same person that you were an hour and now 40 minutes ago when you came in the room and you all said no. And why is that? Because there isn't anything solid there. What you do have probably quite strongly is a sense of self. And no one is going to deny that. I certainly am not. The sense of self that holds your your view of yourself, your sort of judgment or assessment of yourself and all your memory and your conditioning and immediately has your habitual responses. But that sense of self is a construct that you have created. And most of us can't remember this, but I am told that as babies, we kind of had to learn that, right? Oh, that's me, you know? It's like all this stuff around and I bite that and it doesn't hurt, but I write this. Oh, that hurts. That's me. And we start to, you know, I I need to be fed and, and we start to learn boundaries and then we start to create a sense of self, which is really important, really necessary. And we need a healthy sense of self, one that actually supports us in the world and, 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 um, is able to create a life for us that's rich and rewarding and and of benefit to other beings. So that's really important. But it is just a construct. And the reason why 
Well, the Buddha pointed to this because it's true, but he also pointed to it because believing the opposite leads us to suffering. As soon as we say, this is me and this is mine, and you're out there and don't come in here and don't touch me and the way I want it to be is the way it should be, what's going to happen? Stuff is going to happen, right? We're going to struggle because stuff does come in and we're not in control. And, you know, as much as we, we might want to be whatever, who, who do you want, you know, how do you want yourself to be? You, you know, you're not, right? You're not completely in control of this manifestation. You can direct it and whatever, but until you really bring some wisdom in, however you get that, and people can get it in many ways, here we're talking about using mindfulness to develop wisdom, you're kind of at the mercy of this rolling show of habits and memories and conditioning that's all just playing out on this kind of automatic pilot. There's nothing at the core that's stable or or central or lasting. It's just these processes running on. Um, And so the Buddha's great insight was there's nothing outside or inside this flow of experience this flow of experience. Why this is helpful is it's actually freeing to understand in this way because then we have choice, right? We're not fixed, solid entities that are unchanging. We have free will and with wisdom can make wise choices. Uh, Eckhart Tolle in his book, New Earth, I haven't read all his books, but I read that one and I I like it a lot because he talks a lot about thinking and how we create the self. He said, most people are still completely identified with the incessant stream of mind, of compulsive thinking, most of it repetitive and pointless. There is no I apart from their thought processes and the emotions that go with them. This is the meaning of being spiritually unconscious. When told that there is a voice in their head that never stops speaking, they say, what voice? or angrily deny it, which is, of course, is the voice, is the thinker, is the unobserved mind. It could almost be looked upon as an entity that has taken possession of them. And I think this is really true. Until we stop and look, we don't realize what our minds are full with. When through meditation, as I said, we're shifting the lens, the focus of experience from this always outward, you know, What does this mean about me? What are they thinking about me? What do I want? How do I get it? What do I need? Et cetera, et cetera. It's like, what's happening in this process? And how do I bring more discerning wisdom to it? And we start to to see this, especially as the mindfulness really gets trained. And just like, hopefully you had a small taste of this evening, that space between thoughts. Did anyone have a space between thoughts? A few people. What was that like? Bliss. Bliss? Clarity. Peaceful. Not bad, huh? For just a little gap between the thoughts. Because a lot of the time, our thoughts are full of the kind of things I've been talking about. There's negativity or judging or obsession or planning or worrying. And, you know, I know that's not all the time, but take a look. It's a lot of the time. 
So we sometimes, if we hear this teaching, it can seem really confusing. We've got to figure it out. Or if we're going to be a good Buddhist, which you don't have to be, but, you know, we need to, to get it to be, to, to be a good Buddhist. And there's no self. Get rid of the self. It's not about that at all. It really is just looking at your experience and actually seeing what's actually there and how does the way that you relate to yourself and hold that sense of self cause suffering and how can you relate to it in a way that brings more freedom, more clarity, more peace, more ease, more understanding. And this is not a place we land in. This is something we do again and again because we'll get lost, we'll get confused. But any moment you have the possibility of coming into mindfulness, oh, there's thinking. There's that sense of self. And as I said, I notice that when I'm thinking a lot of me thoughts, which is, you know, as I said, most of the time, there's contraction, there's tightness, there's usually some kind of worry or obsession going on. And just to take a break from that, to actually step back and have, even if it's a moment, I don't know if I've used this analogy before. I mean, Eckhart Tolle t- talked about it more strongly, an entity that's taken possession of them. I liken it to the refrigerator humming, you know, especially if you've got one of those really loud refrigerators. After a while, you zone it out, right? It's just going, but then it stops. And you're like, oh, thank you. You know, thank you for now some peace. This is what it can be like as we pay more attention to our thoughts. It's not that something goes away. It's not getting rid of the ego. It's not getting rid of the self. It's creating a different, wiser relationship. So when the construct is needed and necessary, it's there. You know, hopefully I'll get up in this evening and I'll go to my car and my home and you'll go to yours and yours. Um, We need these relative senses of self, of appropriateness, but we're not lost and fixed in it. We're not creating this barrier of separation um, and denial of others' experiences. This is, you know, the extreme, of course, is dehumanizing as we're so narcissistic. We focus on our own inner experience and we deny the reality of others. This becomes a more fluid way of being with experience. So we actually are in the moment as it actually is not operating out of automatic pilot and old habits and conditioning. This is where the sense of free will really comes in. And so as we track and start to notice these three characteristics, as I said, they really are doorways to freedom, to more ease and more peace, because we're now with the flow of how things are. Instead of constantly pushing against and trying to deny whether it's conscious or not, how things actually are. So it's a lot about giving up the struggle. And we also give up this false sense of self and separation, and we feel more empathy. We feel more connection because we see the universality. We know this mind is not that different from that mind, this heart and that heart, this body and that body. And so this sense of Compassion and kindness can really grow out of these teachings as well. So these are deep and profound teachings to take in. It's not something you can just figure out. It's like, oh, now, okay, let me just review this and, you know, check off the list. It's not like remembering history dates or something. Uh, I think it's important to know this is 
central to the Buddha's teachings and to his understanding of freedom. <clears throat> and each of us will find our own way in. I just invite you to consider these as, as possibilities, as skillful means, as, as uh, ways to bring more freedom. As you do the readings and reflections over these coming weeks, uh, you'll see what, what makes sense to you, what doesn't. And if it doesn't make sense, let it go. There is nothing in this class that you need to hold on to, believe in, convert to. These are offered, as the Buddha said, freely offered teachings. Um, he said, I'm just, you know, see the leaves of the forest, how many are they? And then the leaves in my hand, fewer, right? He said, what I know are like the leaves on the trees in the forest. What I'm offering you are the leaves in my hand, but they are more than enough to bring freedom and all you need to know. But you don't have to, you know, plant your own tree. You don't have to convert or believe anything. It really is an invitation to see for yourself, see what's true in your own experience. And so just, yeah, take, take it lightly. You do, there'll be some readings. Um, and the good thing is, um, I'll remind you again at the end of the class, we are going to skip next week. And because we're into this meaty part of the course, it actually is, is hopefully beneficial. And hopefully you'll come back in two weeks to hear the end of the story, the end of the teachings. But maybe you want to listen to this again, or, you know, you've got two weeks now to practice with this, the readings and the homework that will be up on the website, hopefully tomorrow, and maybe review the tape, the video, if you wish. Perhaps go back to the first videos. That's a good thing. They're all up there and recorded online, and you can review any part that's interesting to you. Don't force this, but just let it kind of percolate through your meditations. Any questions or comments about anything I've said this evening? Any part of it, either before the break or the three characteristics? Stunned you into silence. (laughs) And it's okay, you know, as I said, I know that this can seem... It's a lot to take in, just to hear, perhaps for you it's the first time to hear this. Um, there'll be readings, and I'll invite you into some reflections. Okay. So, well, actually, let me just... How many of people was this new for, hearing the three characteristics? So, do, so the rest of you... <laughs> Have you reflected, you know, you've heard this teaching before. Have you reflected on it? Was it helpful? Was there some aspect, perhaps one more than the other, that that you related to that was interesting for you, that you noticed for yourself, or challenging for you that you didn't agree with? Way over here. Thank you. Is it on? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what what uh, I get really struggle with. Uh, I notice now that I, after I've listened <clears throat> tonight is uh, impermanence. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, all three of them, but especially the first two. And 
like I, I guess I'm really relating to my personal um, uh, current conditions and how my daughter dropped out of school just 13 units before getting her bachelor's from Cal. She just did that. She doesn't know what she's going to do. She doesn't want me to bug her. She may not get a bachelor's degree. I mean, it's just like astounding. And I had invested three and a half years of my support and my cheerleading on this. And and there's the the impermanence mm-hmm, of it, you know, mm-hmm. and the also the um, unsatisfactoriness mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. And I think... Um, so it's really this attachment, mm-hmm. this attachment to the picture or the vision yeah. of having to stay the same that causes such suffering yeah. for me. And so it was, I guess I just want to say it was really valuable to take what you just said tonight and match it up with my current experience. Mm-hmm. And hopefully I'll, I I think I am moving into the experience with more ease, being reminded of that. And, you know, opening to the truth of impermanence doesn't mean that we'll like what happens. You know, difficult things will still happen. It's just we won't hit ourselves with what's called the second arrow. The first arrow is whatever the difficulty is. So her leaving school just before she graduates that's suffering enough. The second arrow is, oh, she shouldn't, and why didn't she, and I should have, and she should have, and they should have, and just this whole resistance reactivity around it. We can feel the suffering, because there is suffering around her leaving. You know, it's something you really wanted for her and for yourself and the whole situation. There's a truth to that, a reality to that. But the understanding of impermanence said, and this is the way it is. It's changing. It's not happening the way I wanted it to happen. And, and so it doesn't mean, you know, oh, if we understand the three characters, never suffer again. Because suffering will happen, but we just won't resist it and, and add that what they call the second arrow. Yeah. Yes, one here. Well, I understand of accepting, but where does trying to make things come in? You know, like trying to make things the way that you feel they should be. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is, we all are creating a world that, whether it's our own personal world or that around us, in in a form that we feel it should be. Where does that end and acceptance begin? Yes. And I mean, there's a, there's so much that we are all trying to create. Of course, and it, you know, this might be this this might be the sixty four thousand dollar question. I think I answered something a little similar a week or so ago about expectation, um, and, and what I would say is it's the difference. What I'm trying to point to is this kind of acceptance or understanding knows that things will change, that things aren't completely in our control, and so accepts that, and then acts wisely with that understanding. So it doesn't mean being passive or inert or not um, trying to, as you say, manifest things in a way that's in alignment with what, you know, our, our inner beliefs and vision for ourselves, etc. But there's a difference between doing that 
in the, and denying, you know, that we're not completely, uh, not understanding that we're completely in control, not completely in control, that things will change, that we don't have all the answers, etc., etc. People can live their lives always frustrated because they're not getting exactly what they want or things aren't turning out as they think they should. Live a life of resentment, a life of frustration. These practices help us start from a place of equanimity or acceptance and then the response can come from that. So we're actually seeing more clearly what's needed and hopefully more in touch with what's really beneficial for ourselves. Because often if we're not seeing clearly, not bringing mindfulness, whatever tools we're using to see clearly, we're acting out of conditioned patterns. Oh, this is what a life should look like. By this age, you should have this uh, much money or this kind of house or this kind of career or that relationship. And we're not even in touch with what we truly want. So yes, it's not to deny that we have to be agents in our lives and making choices. Of course we do. But hopefully it's out of more discerning wisdom that is in alignment with the way things are. And so that we're, you know, you know, the going with the stream, there's not so much a sense of struggle as we move through life making these choices. Doesn't mean it'll be easy. Life is not easy. But we don't have so much the 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 resentment or the resistance or the second arrow of it shouldn't be this way. It is. And we make a wise response to that. We should end up because the time, uh, we've come to nine o'clock. So um, your homework for the next two weeks, and as I said, it's getting rich. So, you know, there's a lot to work with here. I encourage you to use thoughts and the mindfulness of thoughts in your meditation um, as much as seems appropriate, if you find you're really getting lost, confused, keep it simple. But start to notice what kinds of thoughts you have. And then, if you wish, you can even make a list. What are the top 10 thoughts you have? You know, sort of planning, remembering, judging, commenting, narrating, uh, worry, you know. Just, we're just wanting to get familiar with the life of the mind. So make a list of five or 10, whatever you get to. And then I also encourage you to notice impermanence. If you take it up as a reflection, it's amazing what you will start to experience, whether it's the cycles of the moon. I think it's full moon tonight. Maybe it was last night. Tomorrow. So. Oh, the two days from now. Tomorrow's Friday. I thought it was really full the other night. Anyway. Great Easter and all that works by the full moon. Full moon. So there you go, Sunday isn't it? Um, so just have it in your mind and see what you notice. What changes in your experience? You know, and it's as simple as the sun and the wind and the leaves and the cars. And, but it's amazing what happens once, once you start to notice it in your body and the weather. And again, as I said, uh, we'll skip next week. So our next class is April 20. Hope you'll join us again. Please do come back. It gets even more interesting. Uh, Rewatch the videos. The website will have all the information up. We can all connect through the bulletin board too. Encourage you to do that. So again, just to end, may the benefit of our practice not be held just for ourselves uh, alone, but shared with others, everyone we meet, our friends, our family, our loved ones, and then outward to all beings everywhere, that all beings may know freedom, happiness, and ease. So, have a happy two weeks. I fly to Australia tomorrow, so my 
Yes, my arms will be tired. As they say. And uh, see you April 20th. So Michelle has just told me the next class is April 16. I thought I looked it up and got it from the website. 16. Whatever it is, it's two weeks from today. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.